Babe, come check it out, right? There's these couple of tiny birds outside, and I swear they're really into my music. They keep, like, hopping around in time to the beat. Oh, right. Yeah, you, you don't reckon they're on something, do you? <laughs> I don't want to put a past them. Proper party animals. What are you doing back? Well, while you've been holding a rave for the local blue tits, I might have landed you a new job. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 162 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that's so impressive how the show is picking up some of our favourite loose ends. Maybe that factory roof business will be put to bed at some point before the 70th anniversary. I'm Gavin. I really should have put a mask on before riding that roller coaster. Yeah, you should. Do you think that's what did it? It was the roller coaster what done it? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, lots, of, wouldn't surprise me. lots of screamy people behind me screaming and getting spit pellets all over me back of me head no it's the people that are in front of you that that you're going into surely but we were in the front weren't we no there were, we're people in front way. of us yeah we were halfway down oh that's right yeah in fact we were close at the end i think yeah no no you're right yeah i have strep throat i don't have the covid but i do have strep throat because we went to visit one of the states of the union with the fewest numbers of people who have been vaccinated and so I'm sure that they're not doing a very good job of keeping themselves healthy in other ways. So I have strep throat and an ear infection, but it's really the strep throat. That's well, it's a month with a J in it, which means, <laughs> of course, you've got an ear infection. I hadn't heard of strep throat until I moved here. It's mostly, like I was saying to I you. I don't know. I honestly don't really know what it is. I, I, I said to you last night, you know. That I don't think I've had strep for like 30, 40 years because <laughs> it's mostly a it, something that you get as as a child, mostly. And you don't really hear of adults getting strep throat very often. So they test for it all the time, you know, but. Because it's billable. Right. <laughs> Welcome to America. Mm hmm. In America's healthcare system. Yeah, I've got an ingrown toenail. Well, we better test you for strep first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. No, uh, is it tonsillitis? Is that what it is? No, because tonsillitis is tonsillitis. Well, that's what I thought. Um, and I don't. I've never had tonsillitis because I still have my tonsils. So do I. Yeah. It's been years since I've had tonsillitis. Yeah. Years and years. Nick had tonsillitis as a child. That's why he no longer has tonsils or adenoids. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just, you know, the back of your throat gets all cakey and cakey, white and red and stuff, which sounds delightful. But that sounds like a sore throat. Is that what it is? Just a sore throat? Well, it's more than a sore throat because a sore throat is a sore throat. This is. <laughs> doctor, doctor, you're baffling me here. <laughs> Dumb it down a little. But it's. It's not as bad as, you know, my doctor looked at my ear and said, yep, it's red and bulging in there, which is just one just, of the just, most delightful just things. Just to be clear, that's the inside of you. 
<laughs> the most delightful things a doctor has ever said to me since uh, my gastroenterologist told me that my my cancerous polyp looked like a phallus. Well, at least your gastroenterologist <laughs> didn't say it's red and bulging. <laughs> well, not this time anyway. No, he just showed me the pictures. <laughs> it's a picture. How are you? You're healthy. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, you're all right. I'm I'm not. We had a nice end of our visit after Dollywood. You know, we went and saw some more dead presidents. We unfortunately missed Graceland, which makes me sad. Yeah. We had a miscalculation of Tennessee presidents that required <laughs> immediate fixing. Yeah. But in the end, you know, it took like all of five minutes to get those other two that we did see in. So we probably could have gone to Graceland and then gone back up to Nashville. Yeah, it, it took five minutes to do them. It, it took like four hours to drive there. Eh. <laughs> Oh, detail. I did the driving that day, so I wouldn't have minded. Didn't go quicker. (laughs) But no, we got Zachary Taylor. Yes. The last Whig president. The last Whig. And who was the other one? Polk. Polk. Yes. Inventor of the Polka. Yeah. (laughs) Supporter of Manifest Destiny. Yeah. And slave owner. If there's one thing about southern presidents from before the Civil War. <laughs> you know they've owned a slave or two and mm. and that makes it all all the more uncomfortable yeah. to to visit. I you know, it's funny because I still haven't even posted my my Andrew Jackson pictures because it just it upsets me so much because he was such an evil, evil man and I, you know, the fact that the part of the display that uh, talked about his presidency and the Trail of Tears and stuff was closed off while we were there. Yeah. Seemed a little suspect. Conveniently, they ended the display at, you know, Hero of the Battle of New Orleans. When will this part of the display be open? (laughs) Well, it'll be open in the... it'll, It'll be open when, you know, it's only white people here today. Because there were some... I noticed uh, some Native American people there. Yes. <laughs> when we got there, I, I kind of imagined those, those, those somebody people. I imagined somebody slipping out the back of the of the ticket booth to just go and hang aside and lock the door <laughs> when they see people who are Shut not white show up. Shut it all down. Although, to be fair, they did have some some books on the Trail of Tears in the in the gift shop. Yeah, there was a little corner section that was dedicated to history that and also we weren't going to talk about anywhere else. Inexplicably some happy books about, you know, making uh, picture books about making fry bread and stuff and it's like this man committed genocide against native americans. Is this really <laughs> the best place? It's like when we went to um Monticello and they had um Harriet Tubman Christmas ornaments in their gift shop. And I was like, really? (sighs) But we're back now. But yeah, we're back home now. It's been very hot and now it's not. Now it's nice. I've got my kit back. And I'd like to go outside and garden and do stuff. But unfortunately, I'm sick. So, you know, of course it's nice. Although the mosquitoes seem quite heavy. Oh, very prevalent. Yeah. I blame the neighbor's pool and all the rain. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But yeah, it was fun to record the episode on the road. 
But it's weird doing something differently mm-hmm. when you when you don't rehearse it or you don't you don't we don't really prepare for this. We just kind of we have our bits and we sit down and then we. You write down all your notes well, and I do Corey News. Yeah, but we don't run through it or anything like that. Well, the first no. time I, I read it out loud is the first time I read it out loud. Yes, that's why. That's why I fuck it up all the time. <laughs> right. But no, it was interesting to do it a different way. Yes. Yes, and we didn't get interrupted by housekeeping this time like we did that one time that we recorded the podcast. Um, in Connecticut. Was it? Yeah, in Connecticut. It was in, in the Mystic? La Quinta. Yes, the Mystic La Quinta or was it the so. Plainfield mm-hmm. La Quinta? Anyway, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> it's always fun to take the show on the road. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't have to crawl into a bathtub this time. Right. It, it lasted an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Arguably, maybe there's a case for not writing any notes ever. <laughs> no one's actually come out and said this. Uh-huh. Actually, just don't bother doing your notes. Yeah. So I've done my notes. Right. But I think it makes you wonder. I think it is better when, when you have notes because... Gives it a bit more structure. Yeah. Yeah, because that leads the conversation a little right. bit. I, th- I think there's got to be a happy medium between, you know... Heavy duty hardcore notes and the kind of just outline that mm-hmm. you did last week. Right. Yes. We'll find it eventually when the show's like 10 years old and our 10 year anniversary, we'll get it right. <sighs> Shall we preamble, Medea? Yes, please. Well, you'd better then give us some of that Royal Cory news. Spoiler alert. A little. I have to say that this particular news item was everywhere this week. It was in the Gettysburg Times. Was it really? And <laughs> and the Philippine newspaper in the Philippines and just all over. So The Philippine newspaper, is that what it's called? I can't remember. I'm sick. Leave me alone. Oh, no, I'm just, just, <laughs> I don't remember what it's called. I'm genuinely just, curious if I that just was what it was noticed. called. And it was also in USA Today, so... Where, well, where, where they had to explain what Coronation Street is, <laughs> which was funny. Well, they should be referring to the New York Times where... Where a certain uh, Coronation Street podcaster was quoted in an uh-huh. article. Not pointing at them with elbows or anything. <laughs> During the pandemic. That was fun. I'd like to do more of that kind of thing. I think we need an agent. <laughs> anyway, back to the news. Yep. Here come the Queen. Here come the Queen. Order in the courtroom. Here come the Queen. <laughs> Liz McDonald may have left the cobbles, but the one true Liz has come to take her place, at least for a day. Nice done. Thank you. Her Majesty made a visit to the set this week to meet the cast and crew and visit the rovers for a cheeky wee pint. This is the Queen's second visit to the quarry, the first being in the 1980s at the original studios. So, and everybody looked really chuffed, including the Queen. She says she she doesn't always get to watch Corey, but you know, and, yeah, because she's Yeah, and she asked everybody if they were nice, and they insisted they were. the The pictures of uh, the Allahans I thought were especially cute because Jimmy looked so chuffed, like like uh, you know, and proud, like this big proud dad with his his kids meeting the Queen. <laughs> it was right. so cute. Loved it. Cave was in a suit. <laughs> My God, Kev was in the suit. I was so disappointed that Tyrone wasn't there in his Michigan State <laughs> shirt. 
Imagine all the people who have left the show that are now really disappointed that they left the show because they didn't get to meet the Queen. Well, there was a couple of people that we follow on Twitter um, that work on the show, like uh-huh. production assistants and stuff like that. They were like, I take one day off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what happens. Liam was there. I saw Liam in some of the pictures, and that's great. That means... I hope we're getting some Liam back then. Yeah. Or Alex, as he is on the show. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There was a, a clip that was taken note of, they're in the Rovers and uh, she's talking to uh, Sally Ann Matthews. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you're looking at it, she's not, she's talking to Jenny, uh-huh. right? But she's talking to Jenny about like the pub trade and stuff. And it was almost like the Queen had kind of fallen into the mistake <laughs> of... Uh, misidentifying this as being real, right? Because kind of talk about the the rovers and their trade mm-hmm. like it was like it was real during the pandemic, right. which amused me. Yeah, it's like a crossover universe, isn't it? Right. It's like when um, the Kool Aid Man showed up in Marvel Comics in the seventies, became a Marvel superhero. <laughs> the Queen is now canon in the. Coronation Street universe. Right. <laughs> Just like status quo. <laughs> Poor Beth. Lisa George has suffered a shoulder injury due to a session with her personal trainer. It has left her mm. in agony for months and she's Ooh. unable to lift her left arm. Get well soon, Lisa. We miss our Beth. I wonder if that's why she was just kind of fleeting yeah. on the show the other week. Yeah, apparently she can't even like dress herself. Oh dear. It's hurt so bad. Yikes. So, yeah, that does not sound pleasant. This is why I don't have a personal trainer. And just this exercise. I right. <laughs> just exercise on my own. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness she can dress herself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have had to dress me in the past, like after surgeries and stuff. This is for another podcast. <laughs> Finally. Former Corey star Nicola Thorpe has come out to criticize Love Island for coupling up men and women with the men doing all of the picking. And yeah, I think we can all agree with Nicola that it's a bit gross, but it's been a bit gross for years. I haven't really watched it. I mean, the whole concept of Love Island is gross, but the concept of most reality TV shows like this I think I might have seen a couple of episodes. It's Big Brother where they take away the pretense that this isn't about getting people to hook up. Right. Yeah, because like they immediately hook up. They're like, you know, the men go around and say, all right, you, you're with me. <laughs> and they have, to, well, they don't have to sleep in the same bed, but they're supposed to sleep in the same bed until they? they like switch out. This is on TV. Yes, but apparently you can, if if you're not comfortable, you can go sleep on the sofa or I guess they have like these beds set up by the by the pool or something that you can go and sleep outside if you prefer not to sleep with so the person you're coupled with. You can sleep with the person you, that has chosen you to be coupled with. Right. Or you can sleep outside. Yeah. Is it on like a bumpy bit of ground with <laughs> spikes in it or nails? I don't know. This sounds very problematic. Yeah. Uh, in further Nicola news, Nicola will also be the face of Blackpool's new ad campaign, Blackpool is Back, to encourage tourism to come back to Blackpool after... The pandemic. So, Nicola Thorpe, face of Blackpool. (laughs) I know. (laughs) 
And that's Corey News. Whew. So close. And now we'll, we'll podcast for coffee. I'm beginning to regret saying that we had a embarrassment of riches a few weeks ago because another week has passed where no coffee no, <laughs> no coffee i'm drinking my coffee this week though out of a you improved the talk of the street mug that yeah. has our mugs on it. it yeah it's got our faces on it mm-hmm. it's a new banner from our, uh, twitter yeah. it's wrapped around a mug yeah. apparently i have nostrils <laughs> never noticed that before i think we all have nostrils don't we yeah, I have nostrils. <laughs> well, you know what they say about men with big nostrils? In, in classic Greek philosophy. Tell me more. <laughs> if you want to buy us a coffee for next week's show, you can go to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can buy us a coffee. Please, I'm sick. I need all the fluids I can get. <laughs> and now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Affectionate Narcissist. No idea. That's right. This was Nina's impression of Adam. She called him a affectionate narcissist. Well, that's pretty accurate. I was Gavin. Of course, that can be that could describe all of the Barlows, wouldn't it? And most men. Yeah. I was Gavin. You said it. And you are mucho mucho amore. Oh, that's right. I watched the um. I watched that documentary about the um. The the, the psychic guy from the 70s and 80s from Puerto Rico. Walter Mercado. Yes, Walter Mercado. I've never heard of him. I oh. didn't really know what he was. I think I've gained more information about him from this brief little uh, reprise of... Did you not watch the documentary? No. It's so good. I kind of think, think I might watch that again. In addition to okay, in addition to usual complaints about allergies and the heat, we also discussed blood groups in our preamble. Oh, nice. We wondered whether chewing the scenery was a positive description or not. Sally catches up with some old friends at the prison and hears some stunning truths about Tim's dad. That was hilarious, remember? Mm-hmm. Sally knew the names of all the guards and used their first names to talk about and kind of knew about their kids and stuff. Right, yeah, that was funny. Absolutely delightful. Leanne continues to push loved ones away, refuses help, and saves some of her harshest words for Toya. Kevin diagnoses a clutch problem to a man very much from Essex who is known to Abby. Laura the Chin starts laying down the law to Gary, forcing him to look at a legally binding and conveniently placed contract. Evelyn is scared of her feelings for Arthur, and Tyrone continues to make bring her home at a decent hour jokes to them. Simpler times. Mm -hmm. Michael arranges a date with an on again, off again, Grace, who is off again, again. Jenny doesn't want to speak to French Johnny. Kirk eats Michael's lunch. Face <laughs> I like says saws. Our moment of the week was Leanne breaking down in front of Nick about Oliver, and our boring moment of the week was Jenny not wanting to talk to Johnny. Mm. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time, last, last year. year. 
Shall we dive in with you? So it's shocking that Jenny and Johnny split up, isn't it? Well, looking back to last year, there's quite a few things that are surprising. Mm. Uh, I was being sarcastic. Oh. Yeah, it's usually difficult to tell when you've been sarcastic. <laughs> More so when you're not feeling well. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is Where There's a Will. Mm. On Monday. Billy and Todd are still being pricks to Summer who wants to dingy the diabetes appointment and go to the next because one. Because they don't want to prick her. You can't expect Billy to do it four or five more times. Right, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. What? And Billy just sits there with a sad face, like, oh, this is a, yeah, it's so, an imposition it's so, on me. It's so, it's so it's such an imposition to actually parent this child. Right, right. when I've got a hole to beget. Right. So she wants to go to the next one, the next appointment, so she can attend the stupid party thing that Addy mentioned last week. Right. So she storms off, and Todd relegated to go after her because Billy has an appointment with the bishop. But not like that. No. Paul finds someone in the community garden. She unloads on him as Todd turns up to remind her of the diabetes appointment again. Paul sympathises and someone admits that going to the appointment admits that her diabetes is a thing. And Paul offers to go with her to the appointment for support. Todd doesn't care. No. So Summer makes her appointment and asks Paul to go in with her. And Billy thanks Todd for taking Summer round, but he admits that he had fuck all to do with it. This is all Paul's magic. Yes. The magic of Paul. Mm-hmm. Who'd just been a kind of a more calm and understanding mm. influence managed to get someone to do the right, right thing after all. Without yeah, absolutely. Without berating her. Mm-hmm. Post-appointment, they all descend on speed dial. Someone is really grateful to Paul who doesn't outstay his welcome and it annoys Todd and Billy. When it's just her and Billy, someone admits how she's missing Paul so much. Yes. And later, Todd confides in Eileen that he's worried from Summer's reaction today that he's being an unsettling influence in her life and promises to do whatever it takes to prove that he's sticking around for good, future sexual misconduct allegations notwithstanding. That was a Bruno joke. Yes. Back home, Todd has, yeah, Todd has bought champagne and pretends to have a dodgy knee as he gets down and proposes homosexual marriage to Billy. Mm. He, he even displays his ring. But not, but like, not that. like that. Billy's reaction is one of shock, so a flustered Todd rushes out. Summer, who has complained about all the upheaval recently, seems to be fine with this development. Yeah. Summer's out looking for Todd, runs into Paul and explains the proposal fiasco and how Billy didn't say yes. Paul hears this as Billy says no mm-hmm. and tries his best not to laugh. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Billy and Eileen, neither of whom work at the funeral parlour, <laughs> are at the funeral parlour. Billy's looking for Todd and asks Eileen to pass that on to him. Todd is hiding with dead people, humiliated that Billy didn't instantly say yes to a surprise proposal when only a couple of weeks ago, Billy was worried that things were moving too fast. Right, yeah. Such a not lovable narcissist is our Todd. Mm. Just narcissism just oozes from his pores, doesn't it? Well, that seems to be what he's motivated by more than anything right yeah he's he's trying to make it all about summer but it's really about him Mm -hmm. being the center of the universe right yeah such a dick so when billy is for once trying to think about summer properly and trying to think about what's best for her right let's slow this down right todd has a fit about this and rushes off 
and then like a week later is kind of we've all just kind of ignored that mm-hmm. Todd decides that he wants to get married now because this will this will prove to Summer that he's sticking around and that he's settled right that's the reason why he's doing it not and because that happens, not because he loves Billy so much and wants to spend the rest of his life with Billy it's to prove to Summer that he's a good guy Oh, so it doesn't really matter who he's being a narcissist for. Right. He needs to be the centre of everybody's universe. Correct. Yes. Not just Billy's. Right. Not just Summer's. No. Hmm. Yeah. So, Billy is still looking for Todd and runs into Paul on the rovers. Paul says, for what it's worth, I think you did the right thing telling him to fuck off. It is Todd after all. And Billy's all like, I didn't tell him to fuck off. And Paul's like, oh my God, Todd's a prick and he's only a decent guy when it helps Todd. Billy says Todd's changed. Paul says Billy's changed. And he brings up how Billy knocked his proposal back because of the gay thing and not being able to get married in church. Right. Don't come around to me when Todd shits all over you again. Probably not like that. (laughs) But maybe. But it's a fair point. It's a very fair point of Paul's and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit for Paul even though I don't want Paul and Billy to get back together because Paul deserves better. Correct. Todd comes back wanting to forget any of today's episode has happened apart from the summer's appointment bit. That was fine. He explains his reasons, promises not to disappear again and Billy mentions Paul's concerns and then he proposes because everything has to be about Billy now. Right. So... Later, they're pulling the old angry but not really angry switcheroo on an emotionally fragile teenager. Yeah. When she comes in, they pretend that they're having a fight. And then Billy announces that he's proposed. And yes, huzzah, they're getting married. Fuck Paul. Fuck him in the ear. And fuck the church. Right. Someone delivers a note that she's picked up that was on the front door that was addressed to Todd. Don't get too comfortable. Your lies will come out. He, He covers and says it's just from George. Yes. On Tuesday, Todd is doing his best to be interested in Billy's ring and some are learning, like that. And some are learning to drive. But he's clearly still knocked out of sorts by the note from yesterday. He leaves in a hurry on the pretense of telling Eileen about their engagement. Off he goes and he decides that, uh, that this must be from Paul and he's going to have it out. And he tells Paul that these tactics are beneath him and he's not going to split them up. Paul hasn't a clue what Todd is talking about but warns him to stay out of his face. He tells Gemma that he's gone out of his way to be civil and this is the thanks that he gets? Right. Because I feel sorry for Paul on this. Yeah, He's seriously. blissfully unaware of any of this going on. No. Todd gives Eileen his wedding news as he gets a threatening text from an anonymous, an anonymous number. Right. That he obviously then blamed on Paul. Oh, Paul's got a, must have got a burner phone now because that's what makes most sense here. Right, yeah. And, and Eileen has some delightful patter about a fascinator. Oh, the... The mere mention of wedding just gets her all fascinated up. I know, it? I know. I you would like. I don't want them to get married, but I do want to see Eileen all dolled up for a wedding. Are fascinators a, a new thing? No. I I think I became first aware of them. They're just teeny tiny hats. I know what they are. Okay. During the uh, Kate and William marriage, mm-hmm. everyone was wearing a fascinator at that point. Yes. Apart from me. Yeah. I went to the I, hardware I, store. I think big fluffy hats are still, you know, the de rigueur, but I think a lot of, especially younger women, prefer the fascinators. Mm-hmm. So. On his way home, Billy has found a helpline flyer stuck to the door that uh, that says, Ask Todd about his lies. <laughs> Todd blames Paul again 
and brings up Paul's remark about a discount coffin because when they were arguing, mm-hmm. Paul said, you know, you can get a discount coffin from your employer if you get in my face again. Right. Yeah, but Todd started it. Right. <laughs> Furious, Billy storms off to have words. So Billy and his man bag shoot at Paul for a bit in Roy's roles and he tells Paul to stay away from him, Todd and Summer. Right. Until he gets his head Even sorted though- out. Paul is the only calming influence Summer has in her life. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Paul, Summer wouldn't have gone to an appointment. Right, yeah. And this would still be a thing that we'd probably still be arguing about. Right. So Paul obviously doesn't think that this is very fair. Then Todd is chatting with Eileen when he gets yet another text demanding a showdown at the Red Wreck. Bitch, you just been served. And at Gemma's, Paul is furious. Something about all this doesn't add up for Gemma. What's Todd's M.O.? Right, yeah. She reckons that he's guilty about something and is worried that Paul has found out. Yeah. Paul, bless his heart, is confused as fuck until Gemma wonders who would have access to the helpline flyers. Mmm. Gemma's doing a fantastic job at being Detective Gemma here. Yes, yes she is. So Todd heads home and sees a hooded figure trying to break in. He gives chase and the figure goes A over T and is revealed not to be Paul after all, but is the return of Will. Yes, Will I am <laughs> on the street. And he wants three grand to keep stum about all the low-life stuff that Todd paid him to do, which I've got a feeling Will will know half of it. Mm-hmm. Todd is having none of it though and tells Will to sling his hook. You won't like me when I'm angry. In fact, you won't like me at all, ever. Yeah. And the, the number keeps going up. You know, the longer that Todd insists he's not going to pay him. Uh-huh. Four grand in. Yeah, because you knocked me over. Now I've got an injured shoulder. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's broken. So making an even five. Right. And then Todd threatens Will with a, a broken ankle to <laughs> for his troubles if, if he doesn't shut up. Yeah, and I'll just put it up to 10 grand, Todd. What right. are you doing? So, I like how Will is just really not flustered at all. He seems to and be somebody who has nothing to, to lose here taken to bullying Todd right back which is interesting I am thrilled about this development yeah me too (laughs) because this is what it takes yeah it takes another Todd to out Todd Todd yes and the mistake that he makes like months ago when all this was happening was that at the end of it all he didn't kill Will no because Will was always going to come back yes and be this kind of Sand under his foreskin, sort of thing. Right. Oh, there's an image. Yeah. Paul meets up with Aji in Speeddal. Todd's engagement comes as no surprise to Aji. He always had an agenda, he says. Yeah. Yeah, Todd always had an agenda. Because it turns out that Aji never really trusted Todd at all. He wasn't a volunteering sort of person, he was just playing a part. So it's no surprise he has something to hide. And Paul is determined to find out what that is. It would have been really helpful, Aji, if you'd said all of this. You know, months ago. ago, When you weren't trying to get your hole off of Todd. Right. Because he said that as soon as, um, as soon as the Will thing had happened, Todd just lost interest in Aji and the whole volunteering thing and that just came to an end. Yeah. Right. Back home, Billy explains the Paul embargo to Summer, who isn't keen on the idea. No. Billy thinks it's for Paul's own good, so Summer, turncoat and coward, agrees. Secretly, Todd gets a call from Will and makes his excuses and leaves. In the community garden, Will wants five grand now, so Todd gives him £600. <laughs> Will reveals that he kept the SIM card from that phone. Yay! And it, 
and it has all the texts on it. And yep. if anything happens to Will, a letter will be sent to Billy the Vicar with all the sordid details. Now pay up, Todd, or you're fucked, pal. Yes. I love that as yes, well. Yes, that was great. And Finally, then, it's 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 like Carol coming back. It is like Carol coming back. Finally, we finally get the payoff from the stupid thing. And the phone that was very deliberately just put like right on, on top. top of a bin. It gives me hope. It gives me hope for other storylines. Well, that's what I said in my intro. Kinda. <laughs> gives me hope that, you know, that that guy who racially profiled Grace at the grocery <laughs> store will finally get fired. Right. And the cop that racially profiled Michael will get rep from... Oh, that's never going to happen. No. So on Friday, Will is a shit spy as he tries to follow Summer. That was hilarious. Who has quickly seen him uh, tailing her. She leads him into the alleyway of doom and then springs on him, recognising that he's the guy who robbed the flat months ago. Well, she's wearing a big, massive pink men's shirt over a pair of overalls. Like, this is uh, a Bay City Rollers music video. Summer likes dungarees. <laughs> Her name should be Eileen. Dungareileen? There's something in there. That's not yep. it, but there's come, something there. Come on, Eileen. Oh, I swear. What I mean, mm-hmm. at this moment, remember they were all wearing dungarees. Yeah. What Dex's Midnight Runners were? What drug, uh, drug dealers? Yes, not the band. That's what the right. Yeah, Midnight mm-hmm. Runners. She goes to call the cops, but he begs for a minute to explain the stuff that she needs to know. How on earth did I get the <laughs> Dex's Midnight Runners mixed up with the Bay City Rollers in my head? Not just in your head. You said it out loud. <laughs> I did. I, I blame my throat. <laughs> okay. They're there. It's like earlier this week, I called Richard E. Grant, Richard E. Martin. I'm, <sighs> I'm still like mad at myself. I, I like on a daily basis, I'll remember that and I will get so angry at myself. <clears throat> Billy meets up with Todd and Speed Doll because they're fucking dull and never eat anywhere else. <laughs> Billy presents his ring. <clears throat> but not like that. And Todd's eyes fill up. But not like that. Then Summer comes down with someone that they both need to meet. It's Will. It's clear he's only told half a story to Summer, but he milks it for all it's worth, and Summer suggests that they should all forgive him. Todd looks like he's being eaten from the inside out. Billy's such a sap that he agrees and decides to feed Will from uh, some of his speed dial dinner. He also has some contacts that might help with accommodation, so he goes off to make a few calls while Summer goes off for a shite. Will says to Todd privately that he wants his money, or he can kiss goodbye to all of this. Right, and and Will makes up a story that his mum has diabetes as well. To get an in with. Right. Because he's to overheard get, lots right. of things, right? Yeah. As he's been a terrible spy right. on the street. So he's heard about the diabetes. Like, oh, yeah, well, my mum's got diabetes. And, and someone's like, like, oh, I have diabetes too. Maybe I can help S- you with that. Small world. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then he says, well, I don't know if she's got diabetes. She might have diabetes for all I know. <laughs> it's yeah, hilarious. Because Todd's like... You haven't seen your mother in years. Yeah, so she might have diabetes. You don't know that. She might be Brett Michaels from Poison. <laughs> or, or Wilfred Brimley. At home, Todd... <laughs> <clears throat> At home, Todd thinks that Will might be beyond salvation. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> Wilfred Brimley was a bit dead on his head. <laughs> 
I don't know why naming people with diabetes is making me laugh. Diabetes. It's Brent Michaels that's making me laugh. Yes, and Wilfred Brimley and his mustache. <sighs> so at home, Todd <laughs> thinks that Will might be beyond salvation and wants to keep him arm's length, especially after the whole Paul thing. Billy, the fucking sap that he is, calls Todd a good man. <laughs> Privately, Todd tries to organise a loan for the, th- what, four grand? F- 4,400. <laughs> The forty four hundred? Yes, because remember he already gave him six hundred dollars, so he still owes him forty four hundred dollars. Pounds. Pounds. Yes. Someone and Will are at Roy's rolls when Paul comes in. What the actual fuck? He's having a hard time remembering what happened a few months ago, but he reckons that this whole Will thing, he was set up by him, and he must be in cahoots with Todd and can't uh, be trusted. But he doesn't seem to know exactly why. Right. Because you said you were getting beaten up by your stepdad, and didn't I get? A, I got arrested for something, didn't I? Right, yeah, and, and your stepdad, your stepdad wasn't really your stepdad. The guy who said you said was your stepdad wasn't actually your stepdad. Right, right. Paul is rightfully confused, mm-hmm. and he confronts Billy about why he's banned from seeing Summer. Yet Summer is allowed to hang out with the kid who broke into the flat. Another fair sterling point. point from Paul. Fair point, Paul. It also comes out that Todd was the one who stopped Billy calling the police earlier, and Paul. Poor Paul's brain is so frazzled by almost getting it that Gemma has to remove him and take him back to hers <laughs> to deal with the shitty nappies. Right, yes. Come on, come on come back on. now, Paul. Come on. Wouldn't get your chew. <laughs> but don't chew the poopy nappies, though. He's at home. Todd has been refused a loan, which surprised me. And Billy wants his hole, but Todd doesn't have time for this. Billy mentions that Paul was talking earlier about him and Will, but Todd quickly deflects. And he goes to the funeral parlour and he opens up the petty cash. And there's a fiver in it. <laughs> it's just a fiver. And then he gets a text from Will. TikTok. And it's a photo of him and Summer at Speeddal again. And they look like they're having a wonderful time. Yeah. And then Gemma and Paul bump into Todd later. And this time, Paul plays a blinder. He doesn't get angry. No. Nope. He doesn't threaten any violence. No. Nope. But he talks about well being back in the scene and how it's hard to tell what the truth is these days. And oh yeah, Todd, you don't know Will, do you? And isn't it going to be fun finding out all about Will in the future? Yeah. And Todd shits a brick. Yes, he does. And waddles off. Like a wombat. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I loved that bit at the end. Yes. Yes, Paul and Gemma just Paul and Gemma down the just street. playing it. Absolutely, right. perfectly. Yeah. Saying to Todd, basically, we're on to you. Yeah. And we know that there's a connection here, but they mm-hmm. do it so subtly and, uh, yeah. It was beautiful. What worked really well. Yeah, it really did. Happy about Will being back? Yes, because it means Todd's getting his comeuppance soon. But I still don't want Paul and Billy to get back together because Paul deserves better. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that if Will was going to deliver... And Todd was going to be on the comeuppance train that it would have happened this week. No. And I'm kind of concerned that something's going to happen next week to delay this or Will is somehow going to be removed from the picture. Right, but Will has a contingency for that. We already know that. He probably does. He seems like a smart kid. It's the old... I've put something in an envelope and told my roommate that if anything happens, this has got to be mailed somewhere. Right. Uh, do we ever believe that? Yes. Because in fiction, it, it we believe that? Typically happens. If only there was a bank safety deposit box involved as well. 
it stuns me that people still even use bank safety boxes. What, what, what would you put in a bank security box? And then go visit every once in a while just to look at it. Remind yourself it's still there. Not telling you. <laughs> I'm your wife. Well, definitely not telling you. Why? I think Billy, though, needs to stop thinking about getting his hole all the time. Right. And start focusing on what's blatantly obvious now in front of him. What's going on here? And he, bl- he he claims that all of his actions are due to wanting to, are, are for summer. Right. But which, which you said the other week. You called bullshit on that quite rightly, I think. Yes. You know, and you know, eventually he's going to realize his own lies, you know. And what, what would this even mean, like, for his for his job and everything? Will he still, because if he can't get married in the church, how will the church feel about him getting married? And will he lose his archdeaconhood? I, I don't think they would, they would recognize that he's married, would they? Yeah. So he would have to be okay with that? Yeah, and well, and also it's kind of weird because you'd you'd think that the church would have something to say about him living in sin with another man and not even being married. Mm. You know, you'd think the church would have something to say about this sort of thing. Kind of thinking that maybe they weren't inundated with applications for the archdeacon position. (laughs) Any port in the storm. Mm. Our next storyline this morning is the disaffected children of Fizz Brown and Tyrone Dobbs. On Monday, Fizz is nursing a hangover from her sesh with Maria from last week. She still can't believe that this is Ty's idea of a fresh start and how is she going to explain all this to the girls? This is a this is the point that we were making. Tyrone has abandoned Fizz <coughs> and his family to live the single life again. Right. And immediately gets them knocked up. Right. Good job, Tyrone. Yeah. And then now he's walking around with an empty pram. Well, this before, is it. Before even telling his daughters that they're getting a new brother or sister. Because Alina's been pregnant for, what, a day and a half? And Tyrone has splurged on a very expensive looking pram. Yeah. The prams are expensive. Yes, they are. Shockingly expensive, actually. Yeah. Most baby stuff is shockingly expensive. That's why you just kind of buy it used or, I remember, or borrow it from your friends. Right. Well, my pal, uh, David Bowker, mm-hmm. who you've met, you've met, no chance that he listens to this. Mm-hmm. But when his wife got pregnant 20 years ago and mm-hmm. he bought a McLaren Pram for his first kid, right? I'm sure he said it was over a thousand pounds. Yeah, probably. I was like, fucking hell, you can buy a car for that. Yeah, not a nice one though. No. <laughs> so anyway, Fizz comes along. And isn't impressed that he's told Kev about the pregnancy before telling Hope and Ruby and how the girls will probably find out from Jack before right. they find out from him. Yeah. Another good point. Yes, an excellent point. Tyrone promises to tell them, honestly, I don't imagine either of them will give a fuck. So in the community garden, now that Summer's fucked off from another storyline, Tyrone tells the girls, and as predicted, aside from some confusion about whose belly Tyrone's seed is swimming about in, mm. they couldn't give a fuck. Ruby spends most of the conversation standing in the corner facing the wall like the end of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> and seriously, Hope and Ruby are becoming so disaffected that they could be Brett Easton Ellis characters. <laughs> Which means that 
in reality, they care a great deal, and they're just pretending to be disaffected. Oh, interesting. Especially that ruby in the corner. Because, you know, at least Hope is a bit precocious and is asking questions and stuff, and Ruby's just like, meh. Well, I wondered, and I think what they're trying to, how they're trying to sell it later, is that Ruby is now officially upset about Kirsty's death. Right, yeah. Kirsty, who she doesn't even remember. No. Never. It seems like they're trying to make her, like, it's, it's, it, they keep talking about it, like... Oh, we have to make her upset about this because if she's not upset about her birth mom dying, then there's something wrong with her, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous. I think the idea of not saying anything and mentioning it later when she's genuinely interested or has questions, right? deal with it then. Right. Because she was a young wee thing. Yes. She's still a young wee thing. Yes, she is. Back at the house, Tyrone maintains to Fizz that the girls will remain his number one priority. But Ty's words don't mean much uh, to Fizz anymore. No. And she reminds him of the exhaustion of newborns and Alina being clueless. Which is a fair point. The girls are never going to be anywhere near his number number one one priority. Not anymore. And and they can't. There's no way that that can happen. No. Because what what message does that send to... The bubby. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think this bubby is actually going to get born? Hmm. I am undecided. Right. I'm at at the... I kind of hope it isn't. Because it it just messes so much up. Yeah. We've just had a miscarriage on the the street, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Not not too long ago. So... Yeah. And we haven't had an actually... No, 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 no. Gemma had those quads. Four of them. But does that count as that four wasn't... individually or one times four? Yeah. Well, regardless, it wasn't that long ago. So, God, too many people get pregnant on the show. Yeah. It just doesn't feel very realistic in our day and age for there to be this many pregnancies on the show. <laughs> it's it doesn't con- really con- reflect real life, does it? Contraception and mobile phone technology together have just screwed up any any semblance of reality and an awful lot of support for stuff. In fact, there are now articles being written that, you know, we're going to have a kind of a scary decline in the population because there aren't enough babies being born. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw the, the oh, I can never remember the guy's name, the Swedish guy that did a TED talk on it. Uh-huh. I saw him do a, a, a conference keynote speech where he said that, that the population of the earth kind of plateaus it doesn't it doesn't exponentially keep growing and growing eventually it does level out because mm-hmm. people aren't having lots of babies because the reason that people have lots of babies is babies used to die right that isn't happening anymore so no. people aren't having lots of babies people are having one or two babies and right. if people are having one baby or if two people are having one baby then that's a decrease in population yes so yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But as far as Alina, I just can't see her being a mum. No, especially not this soon in the show. Right. What do you think? Do you want it to happen? Not really. It feels like it's going to be born and then they're going to have the Oliver problem all over again. What do you do with it once it's born? Right. Mm-hmm. Which they're kind of already having a problem with, with Gemma's four kids, you know. 
And I mean, there was a pandemic, so of course we're not going to see all four together. But the fact that we've only briefly seen Alid and not any of the other three, mm-hmm. you know. It's bad enough trying to get Joseph into the show. Right. At the moment. And it'll, yeah. it'll be easier as we get on. But getting the kids that are there, because it's becoming like a standard joke. It's like, well, you forget that Max and Lolly exist, right? Right. And Max is kind of off an age where he could... He Maybe be part of a storyline of yeah, right? He, yeah, because he's, you know, everybody over twelve should be vaccinated. Well, mm. uh, yeah. But still, what we're going to do? We're going to add to this problem and throw another one into the mix that we don't know what to do with. Right, exactly. So yeah, <sighs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't go to term. But I kind of thought that maybe that would be on the back of fizz and. Tyrone realising that they've made a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake has been made here and just go back to each other and then Alina's left on her own with this baby that she doesn't want and then so right. therefore she aborts it. But I don't know. Yeah, time is ticking on that. Mm-hmm. And the relationship that seemed to be healing a little bit between Fizz and Tyrone is now a couple back. of weeks ago. There was a bit of animosity and... Right, and the relationship that seemed to be waning between Ty and Alina seems to have been strengthened by this baby news as well. Right. No, maybe. Maybe it will then. Uh, Our next storyline this morning is, is he returning to work? I see what you did there. <laughs> Subtle as a brick. <laughs> <laughs> Shit out by a wombat. Right, on Monday. Carla is settling back into the factory that she didn't really leave and is terribly confused about her contract. But anyway, Sarah is put out until Carla says that she's resurrected the Joe Lafoe deal. Yay. All they need to get is those samples that Izzy's been working on. Sarah thinks that Izzy was needing more time. There is no time, says Carla. Chop, chop. So Sarah FaceTimes Izzy and it sounds like those samples aren't ready and Kurt's going to go around to pick them up in an hour. It also seems that Izzy is entertaining a gentleman and quickly hangs up when he sticks his head into the shop. That was quite an amusing uh, motif of this storyline was this guy. Do we know what his name is? I'm not sure we know what his name is. Fergus. Do we officially know what his name is? Fergus. He wasn't introduced, was he? Did he introduce himself later? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Pretty sure it's Fergus. I may be thinking about something else. So, um, I often am. Right. But His he just, real name is the Bay City Rollers. Right. With a bandana. But yeah, he just sticks his head into the show every now and again, which is quite amusing. So, Jola Foe is on her way and Kirk hasn't arrived with the samples yet. Sarah explains how, about how she suspects Izzy is getting all the sex after spotting that guy earlier. And Carla seems to take umbrage that Izzy is fucking like a beast while she's supposed to be working from home. Carla and Joe Lafoe meet in the bistro because, sure, Carla stalls as Kirk arrives with the samples and lets slip that they were a rush job. Joe puts on her knicker-examining glasses and is not impressed with what she sees. They've been put together by someone wearing mittens, she says. Mm. Carla says that they must be rejects and she'll send over the real samples tomorrow. Back at the factory, Carla blames the shoddy work on Izzy getting her hole when she should be working and decides to have a word. Sarah, who's partially to blame for this, tells her to go easy on Izzy. So Carla gives Izzy a call on FaceTime about her shoddy work, and when the bloke's voice is picked up, Izzy panics and hangs up again. 
We've seen Izzy's flat that there's probably little hold being got, gotten here. The guy is spraying things, but not like that, and shouting about a lasagna being in the oven. Yeah, he's cleaning their groceries. Is that what he's doing? Mm. I'm just watching that going, what is this guy doing? It's like he's watering something. Yeah, he's he's spraying the outside of the the bag of lettuce to, to wipe any germs and stuff, which he shouldn't really be doing right next to Izzy, but that's... Uh, and the computer and... That's okay. Sewing stuff. And anyway, COVID isn't transmitted like that. So, Carla tells Sarah, who says it's none of our business, is when she's turning in shite, says Carla. Sarah says every business has had to deal with this, but Carla thinks it's time for folk to come back to work. She's had the vaccine. She isn't sick. She wants Sarah to tell her to come back in a way that sounds like she's asking. So Sarah calls Izzy and gently brings up the subject of returning to work. She's obviously uneasy. She quickly ends the call. In her house, the bloke tells her not to be bullied and going back to work if she's not ready. But Carla has a beaner bonnet about this now. They wouldn't accept this kind of work from anyone else. Sarah doesn't think they can force her back to the factory, but Carla now thinks that if she doesn't come back, her position is now untenable because the knickers really were that bad. On Tuesday, Sarah gives Izzy a call again and Izzy seems to be in much better spirits, claiming that she's sussed out the machine better now. I'm not... Not sure what she's been doing up to then. But when Sarah explains that Carla insists that she comes back to the factory, she hangs up yet again. Sarah covers in front of Carla, blaming a Wi-Fi connection. And now it's Sally's turn to FaceTime Izzy. Sally tries to put her mind at ease, but saying eh, now that they're back, it doesn't really feel like they've ever been away. Izzy hangs up and asks her mystery bloke, who's eating a peach, if he has a printer? So Carla and Sarah are out when Gary, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory and he speaks with Sally about Izzy. Something's up and she's asked him to take their kid, Declan O'McGillicuddy. Permanently. Yeah. Mm. Sally wonders if uh, it's got something to do with coming back full time. And Gary's kind of weird. Is this a, do you know this or do you just think this? Mm -hmm. And when Sally says, well, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, you just think it. What are you noising up Sally for? She's trying to fucking help you, you idiot. Mm. This is Gary we're talking about. Yeah. He goes to see Izzy, but she's not answering her door or her phone. And then the bloke calls Sarah and reveals himself to be Izzy's neighbour. He tells Sarah on the download that Izzy hasn't been outside for more than a year and isn't ready to come back to work. Izzy comes back from doing a shite and confirms that she's quitting, and then she hangs up again. She doesn't mm. want this job anymore. Sarah goes to tell Carla about Izzy resigning and the bloke saying that she's not ready to come back. Carla is being a bit unreasonable and says that if really Izzy is. is resigning... She'll have to do it through her. So Sarah, Sally and Kirk corner Carla in the rovers. Well, that wasn't easy to say about mm. her handling of the Izzy situation. It won't wait until tomorrow, but Carla won't be swayed. They're running a the business, not a therapy centre, and she's not scared to be seen as the bad cop here. Then on Friday, Peter's back, and it seems that as well as organ transplants, the hospital offers a similar barber service as the prison, because he looks like a young Johnny with his hair swept back like that. Yes, he's been bit by a vampire. It surpri- always surprises me I don't know if this is a me thing necessarily <laughs> Or a, a, a man thing necessarily But right. I think I've changed my hair Four times in my life When I was a wee boy I had the Beatles haircut I, With a bowl yes. Then I had a side pattern Because my dad had a side pattern mm-hmm. Which developed into a mullet and then I had a kind of French crew cut yeah, thing. Yeah, because that's how mullets develop out of a side part. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I still had the side part, but I had the mullet. Right, yes, which is two different hairstyles. Together at last, <laughs> during what I call my barren spell. Then I had the French crew cut, and then the hair fell out. Right. So was that four or five? It's like six. Was it? You can't count the side part and the mullet as one. You had the side part. Okay. And then you had the mullet. Okay. So, Beatles, side part, mullet. And then, like, when it fell out, at, at first you were trying to pretend that it hadn't fallen out. So, you had that 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 thing, that comb-over thing. So, that, oh, that, so that counts. The comb forward. The comb forward. And then you just went pure bald, <sighs> which is how I see you today. Mm-hmm. In all of your balding, all of your loveliness, because as 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 we have established this this week, bald men are sexy. Well, especially beardy balded men. Six haircuts in forty seven years. <laughs> I don't know. It just it just seems strange that Johnny is now combed back as is Peter, but he suits it and he's looking so well. Yes, like a vampire. <laughs> They're looking for a fresh start and a flat above a cab office. Good luck with that. Later at the factory, Carla hasn't let Izzy go yet, but it means others will need to pick up the slack, although she's let Izzy think that the deadline has been extended. Sally doesn't think this is going to be possible. She can't take no more, Captain. Sarah doesn't think Izzy will appreciate other people doing her work. Well done with what the do Star- you want from me, says Carla. Well done with the Star Trek reference. That's usually my gig. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't jump in there, so... <laughs> So Carla has now gone from being a kind of hard-assed business owner on Tuesday to now lying to Izzy about the right. contract it, it, stuff. It makes me, I'm. It made me feel like maybe I'd missed something because of this this change of heart. Right, and this will not have been easy for you, given that the episodes were in the wrong order on Britbox anyway. Yeah, it, that which was really strange. <laughs> But, but yeah, it's like she has this change of heart and we really don't understand why. Is it because Peter's back? Is it? And that's so the only thing become, that's changed. She's become a bit more of a softie about people with illnesses. Because she's reminded mm. of people with illnesses now that Peter's back looking like a vampire. <laughs> they really do need to dress like the Adams family for Halloween this year. <laughs> oh, excuse me, winter pops. So the weird bloke that lives with Izzy calls Sarah and apparently Izzy isn't going to hit this extended deadline and needs it pushed out even further. Mm-hmm. Sarah's in the middle of explaining that the deadline is bullshit and they're basically treating Izzy like a charity case when Izzy sticks her head in and insists that she's hard at work. At the factory they need a better plan than letting Izzy slowly make substandard underwear. <laughs> Carla agrees, but has Peter to worry about, which is a great get-out-of-jail-free card to play whenever. And then Sally and Sarah are chatting about being honest when, uh, with Izzy when Izzy calls and Sarah starts lying immediately about a JLF flexible deadline. Izzy smells bullshit and Sally doesn't think it'll be long before the truth comes out. And that's as far as we get with that this week. What right. do you think about uh, hard-assed Carla? Well, you know, it's beyond, you know, just the bit that's confusing that she does this complete 180 and that's not fully explained. I do really enjoy the storyline and I'm glad that it's something being addressed because it's, you know, this is, this is, and and like everybody popping babies out every once in a while, this is actually true to life. This is, you know, 
this is a storyline that's actually addressing things that people are going through right now. Mm-hmm. You know, even we're like, you know, they're talking about you having to go back to work at least two days a week in September and stuff. And yeah. even that kind of gives us pause a little bit, even though we were just <laughs> on vacation. But, you know, it's it's like everybody's sort of trying to find their new normal. And what am I comfortable with now? And what am I not comfortable with? And the fact that people with disabilities have had it so hard already. And now people are kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's over. So everybody back to the way things were. And people with disabilities are like, wait a second, we're finally kind of being taken seriously with the lockdown and everything. And now you mm-hmm. just want to shove us back out into society. It's it's a good storyline. And I'm glad that they're doing it. And I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a bit that I kind of forget or didn't appreciate that Izzy hasn't been outside. No. And that's kind of terrifying when you think about it. Yeah. To then suddenly be demanded to go right. back outside. This would be handled a bit more incrementally than just you need to start you need to come back to work now yeah you think that right and you would hope that but i don't think that's necessarily the case for all i'm not sure people i'm not sure the factory has an hr department (laughs) no and it's maybe sarah if it is or toya yeah so i do like her giant rabbit though her giant giant rabbit the giant golden rabbit behind her you didn't didn't see the giant rabbit no I didn't see any, was that an invisible rabbit. You need your eyes checked. No, that's my Harvey. The, that's where I was going. Oh, okay. You're you're going to go the Harvey route and not <clears> the um, Donnie Darko route. Right. They've not seen a giant rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah. I'm, Gosh, that's a trope now, isn't that? Mm-hmm. Mm. I need to go back a couple of days a week. Yeah. But the smart money is six months after we'll be fully back in the office. Yeah. After getting, well, it doesn't really make any difference if you're working from home or working in the office, you're still getting your stuff done. And actually you do more work at home because you think that you're being monitored more closely yeah. to make sure that you're you're logging in on time and logging out right. on time sort of thing. But people like to see bums on seats. Sure. Our next storyline this morning is Easterly Gale. On you got something to say about that? No. On Monday. I was going to say I like what you did with that, but honestly, I, I don't. just don't. <laughs> on Monday, Gail's home from hospital. It seems that no one's picked her up to bring her home, which is typical. It's so typical. She announces to Nick and David that she's fucking off to Thailand tomorrow and then goes up the stairs to what pack. What is it with her in Thailand? She loves the Thailand. I mean, Thai food is delicious. Mm-hmm, but you can get it here or there. Can you, though? Thai food, yeah. I mean, you can get it here. There are there are Thai restaurants in places in America that have no Thai people in it. <laughs> Apparently, the Thai government has done this on purpose. It's like this. The the Thai government has, has get your tin foil out, people. <laughs> no, this is actually true. No, uh-huh. <laughs> that the um that they want people to become aware of Thailand and and come visit Thailand, and so they've they've. They've done this, like, they bring chefs and stuff to Thailand to learn how to make Thai food and then help fund their Taiwanese restaurants. Or not Taiwanese, because that would be Taiwan, not Thailand. Right. They're Thai, Thai restaurants, yeah. yes. 
It was a strange crossover, just getting Thai people to cook Taiwanese food just to, <laughs> just to confuse people. I'm not against that idea, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. Thai food is delicious. It is. And yes, you can get it in the UK. Later, David still doesn't believe her, but uh, she has a one-way ticket to the last place that she was happy. Finally, it strikes David that he's on the hook now for his own child's for his own kids' childcare. His own invisible children. Well, Gail is off looking after herself, and of course David's not happy about that. No. Natasha and Sam land on number eight to give Gail a card. No one else has given Gail a card. No. <laughs> Absolutely Sam has no made one. this beautiful card with pennies on it. Mm-hmm. Where did he get those pennies? From his pocket, probably. Nick tries to put them off, but when they talk about coming back tomorrow, he says maybe it's best to see her now then, so Sam runs up the stairs with his card for Granny Gail. Natasha, still pissed about the kidnapping and gunshot things, uh, leaves to go to the shops. Gail has come downstairs and thanks Sam for saving her life. It's what anyone would have done, says Sam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think You'd that's, like to think that, Sam. But think, you don't really know your family very well yet, do you? I think that's enough for now, says Nick, before Gail has a chance to point out that her own sons weren't exactly on top of the situation. Sam says he'll see her tomorrow. Nick is happy to let Sam be under the impression for 24 hours, but Gail tells the truth. <coughs> She's going to Thailand. Sam is upset and blames Nick and rushes out of the house. You and your fucking family, says Natasha. But it turns out Sam blames her. As too. well, yes. And he's not wrong. On Tuesday, Gail's having second thoughts about Thailand because of Sam, which puts David's nose out of joint. She's a go between, uh, between Natasha and Nick, and David says... <coughs> He'll miss her, but thinks that she should go. Later, Gail is expecting a visit from Sam and Tasha, and she finds Nick in the kitchen making a picnic. She shoes him out as Sam comes in, and he will not shut the fuck up about truffle trees. He's bought one to plant, but the back garden is still a bit sinkholey at the moment, says Gail. Right. And she's trying to shoo Nick out because Natasha doesn't want yeah. Right. So Shona, David and Leanne are gathered in the rain outside the... Uh, hair salon I think mm. chatting about Gail having second thoughts about leaving because of the whole Sam thing Shona is definitely team Natasha here <laughs> but David thinks that Nick should be able to see his son regardless of the number of times he's indirectly put him in mortal danger <laughs> Leanne considers both positions and sucks a thoughtful tooth so Sam's outside playing in the sinkhole when Gail makes another case for Nick being in Sam's life and then Leanne comes in to do the same. She takes responsibility for putting Sam in mortal danger. She promises Sam will be safe. She begs for a reassessment and then wishes Gail a safe trip and leaves. Mm-hmm. So Natasha tells Nick that he can see Sam and then for the third or fourth time makes an idle threat about keeping him safe. If he comes home with just a scrape yeah, on his so knee. Much, so much as a plaster on his knee. I will do nothing. You're out of here. In comes Sam, and fucking hell, he's still going on about that truffle tree. <laughs> so a day after being discharged from hospital after a heart attack, Gail's getting a taxi to Thailand. Audrey has been asked to come along to make sure that she goes. She tells Nick to send photos of Sam. He promises to do so. He absolutely won't bother. Then <laughs> on Friday, Natasha hasn't waited long and has chucked Sam at Nick while she goes and looks for new places to live in leafy suburbs. Sam doesn't want to live in the leaves. He wants to live in Weatherfield. And then later we see Nick rolling down their street in a Renault McGann. Yes. Sam's trying to dog PE at school after his eye test thing that he was uh, scheduled for and Nick can't be budged. 
Natasha overhears yes, this. because he took PE in university. Which is what's happening in the classic core at the moment. <laughs> and is impressed that Nick studies ground with his son. She'll let Nick, Nick see Sam more now, especially with Gail being away and right. me not having a childminder. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So is Daniel still tutoring Sam? No idea. <laughs> I'm guessing not. What is even going on here? I'm kind of worried that Gail's off long term here. Yeah, permanently. <laughs> There's a significance of a black cab that I think is more an EastEnders thing. Yeah. That's, if you go off in a black cab, that's never a good sign. No. She got the black cab, but she didn't get the back seat of the black cab shot, which I think is probably COVID. She's off to extort money from Eileen's son. Right. Who's also in Thailand. And Sophie in uh, the other one. Isn't Sophie in Paris? No, she's been touring the the Far East with the other one. What's her name? Uh, Kate. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking of the other girl. What's her name? The blonde with a baby. Rosie, she's in Japan. Who's in France then? I thought they were in France. Eva. Oh, Eva's in France. That's right. Nicola's in Birmingham. No, Bristol. Yes. (laughs) Jeez. And she's also... (laughs) She's also the face Let's go to the Blackpool thing again because I'm just settling down after that. Yeah, I feel really sorry for Gail here because... She's finally got someone who really loves her and is pleased to see her and, and runs to, to her. spend time with her. And yeah. makes her cards and treats her yes. like a maternal figure in his life. Right, not even Max and Lily do that. Nobody does that. And he's finally got someone who doesn't put him in mortal danger anymore. <laughs> right, and who genuinely loves him and... <laughs> We'll keep him safe. Why are we splitting this two up? I don't know. They were so cute together. Maybe Helen Mirren just needs a break off. Helen Mirren? Maybe Helen she Mirren. does. Maybe Helen Mirren does need a break, but maybe let's think about Helen Worth. Who is yes. <laughs> it's the drugs, people. It's the drugs. Well, I don't know why Brett Michaels is going to Thailand, but... <laughs> With Wilfred Brimley. This mustache. Okay, we only have two more to go. We're nearly there. Just, you, I just need to you sitting up for another twenty minutes. Please hurry. Our penultimate storyline is tag teaming Eileen. On Tuesday, Sean and Eileen are arguing in the rain about Sean moving. But not back like in. that. Tag teaming Eileen. You're way too late with that. Not like that. Eileen is pleased that Sean assumes that he can just move back in, especially when it looks like he won't be good for rent for a bit. He flounces off when Todd arrives. So Todd is under the impression that Paul is... No, that's, right. that's from so, another storyline. So in another storyline, Todd is under the impression that Paul is behind the poison leaflet messages. Blah, 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 and blah, when blah. he and Eileen leave the rovers, the Undertaker suggests a tag team with Sean in which they both bum each other up to Eileen to get in her but good books. Like that. So Sean has a place to live and the Undertaker can be on Eileen's arm at Todd's wedding. Hmm. And on Friday, the Undertaker and Sean catch up in the street and remind us all of this pincer movement shite that's apparently a thing now. The Undertaker puts his plan into action in Roy's roles and starts enthusing about Sean and how his heart's in the right place and he misses living with Eileen. And Eileen is tough to wear down, but she eventually agrees that she should cut him some slack. You know, it's funny. 
It was this storyline especially that made me so confused was it? when the, the two episodes on Britbox were, were switched. Because, you know, they're, because the plan was already in play in the first episode I watched. Right. And then they talk about, this is when I realized that they were switched. It's like, they just started the conspiracy of, of you know, tag teaming Eileen. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a second, you guys were talking about this last episode. What's going on here? Right. Yeah, it doesn't help that they start talking about it again, though, as if right. they haven't been talking about it. Right. And they're over. Sean returns the favour by calling the Undertaker full of life and positivity and a hunk of spunk into the bargain. Ew. If only he was a woman, says Sean. Eileen right. thinks that she's wandered into the Mutual Appreciation Society for weirdos, and that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. I don't have very much to say about that. No. I, I, I like the team-up of, of Sean and, and um, The Undertaker, though. Yeah, Sean wasn't really annoying. No. He did flounce. Just once. Twice. Well, once and a half. The second one wasn't... Well, really the second one was spin. at a different storyline. Because yeah. he, f- he flounces with Daisy. Oh, he does, yeah. With the cocktails. Mm-hmm. But not like that. I think you've said, but not like that too many times. <laughs> but not like that. <laughs> or actually, what I should say is, that's what she said. <laughs> it's funny in my head, okay? Keep, <sighs> keep going. Okay. Our final storyline. This morning is a daisy between two roses. <laughs> On Monday, Ryan is in his undercrackers playing dance music for the local blue tit. Alia comes home and announces that she's got him an interview with Debbie for a job at the bistro. She doesn't care that he wants to focus elsewhere so long as it pays for their own place. He's in his pants talking about where he wants to focus his energies. Mm-hmm. And he's in and his pants for no good reason. Well... You know, because there are then, people who will argue with that. Well, yes, but as far as the show, you know, as far as the storyline's concerned, there's no real reason why he's in his undercrackers. Because then Alia says, "Well, since you're already in your undercrackers, let's go upstairs." And he says, "Yasmin is up there." Mm-hmm. So he's walking around in his pants in front of his girlfriend's grandmother. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? In answer to your question, no doubt coming up. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Yasmin or, or Ryan? No, I wouldn't wander around in my pants in front of your mum. Or, or my grandmother. Or, or, <laughs> Which would be well, difficult because she's dead. In that case, that would just be disrespectful, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, I, I thought, here we go. I'm just trying to imagine it. Here's the, here's the setup. Alia suddenly deciding to set up Ryan with interviews. Right. Which is kind of overstepping the mark. Did I say kind of? It's definitely overstepping the mark. I don't know. It's still my business, woman. It, it's her business too, because they want to settle down together and get their own place and stuff. She's just trying to be helpful. Well, he should be saying, I can organise my own interviews, thank you very much. I appreciate your effort. But let's be honest, it's Ryan. He really can't. Well, if she doesn't want that from her boyfriend, then she needs to let him know. But he needs to be the one responsible for where he works. It's Ryan. And if that's not not what she wants... She wants Ryan. Well, clearly she doesn't because this is Ryan. She wants... 
She wants the sexy aspects of Ryan. Hmm. How's that? Is that better? In the Rovers, Ryan is filling out an online application talking about selling out, but doing the responsible thing. Yeah, see, he's trying to be responsible. He's doing the right thing. It's good. But he's not doing the responsible thing because he wants to do the responsible thing. He's doing the responsible thing because someone wants him to do the responsible thing. And because he loves that person. Daisy proposes this change in tact and has an idea about how he can make some decent money doing something that he loves. Daisy's idea is a mobile pub and DJ in folks' backs garden. That sounds awful. Jenny will give it some thought. Apparently it is a thing, though, Mm -hmm. thanks to the pandemic. Right. Alia comes into the Rovers and hears Daisy and Ryan enthused about the mobile DJ idea and becomes a tad suspicious when she sees Daisy give Ryan one of those looks. Right. It's kind of like, I mean, boost cruises have been around for a while where you all get on a bus and get drunk and just drive around. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not that much different from that. Only you're because that's in, exactly like something in your back garden. Because it's just in your it's just the bus coming to your back garden instead of you going all around. You know, or like those those things where you bike. Oh, those are awful. I'm I'm surprised that people don't plow into them more often because <laughs> I think I would. And this Who was wants our, to get drunk and pedal at the same time. But the. There's only ever one person fucking pedaling and everyone else is... Ooh. Well, then they'd never move. they move very slowly, which is why <laughs> they would get ploughed into And this was our hot debate. That woke you up. Don't do that. And it was this point we were looking at Daisy was trying to steal Ryan. So which team were people? Were the team Alia? Were they Team Daisy? Most people are Team Alia, aren't they? Or were they Team Underpants? (laughs) Team Daisy came in last at 11.7%. Who's voting for Daisy? And then it was kind of close between Team Alia and Team Underpants. Team Underpants came in. It doesn't make any sense. They they don't want him to be with anyone, just walk around in his underpants. I guess that's what that means. That came in at 41.7%. Team Alia was 46.6%. So Team Alia won by less than 5%. (laughs) It was Team Alia, your underpants, and then Daisy. Yeah, you alone in your underpants, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming. You can have fun on your own in your underpants. On Tuesday, Daisy and Ryan are discussing a photo shoot for their new business which is kind of cart before the horse, but never mind. When Alia comes in, she's been interfering again and apparently the bistro will accept a part-time commitment from Ryan. Daisy is quick to piss over these chips, but Ryan is focused on publicity shots right now. What's wrong with working at the bistro that they're, that Debbie will just hire just anybody? Right. Even people who don't come in for an interview. And people who currently work at the Rovers. Right. Then it, it, da- it's, it's almost as if... Too many people have died or been shot in the bistro and nobody wants to work there anymore. <laughs> it's almost like that. It's almost right? like that. Then Daisy gets news of a gig. It's today. It's Simon's 18th. <laughs> which Peter couldn't get out of the hospital for just one day early. Okay. Uh, Ryan and Daisy are setting up for Simon's 18th in the community garden. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's his actual 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. But they were planning on having like a family party and stuff on Saturday. Oh, I'm sure they were. Alia comes along and isn't sure about any of this, particularly a photo shoot. Daisy has a mate who has a boutique and will do a deal for her. But what? But when that doesn't butter Alia's muffins, Daisy offers to take her place. 
So long as one influencer is there, it should be all good. And they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> In Speed Dull, Alia's complaining about Daisy to Yasmin. Yasmin gives her some cash to go and see Daisy's boutique mate and call her bluff. If she really has a mate, she can get a deal. If she doesn't have a mate, then you'll know all about it. The rave in the community garden is as lame as you'd expect. Alia comes in in a dress that she picked up from the boutique, but then Daisy comes in wearing the same dress, only shorter and with more tits. Alia is not fooled. This has been a deliberate setup. Yeah. The photo shoot has been a resounding success because of Daisy's photo, uh, photography skills. Alia wants to go into town with Ryan, seeing as she's all dressed up, but Daisy demands that he helps clear up the garden, which is actually fair. Yeah. Alia is home and in her sweatpants now when Ryan comes home, oblivious to the whole Daisy thing. Daisy starts texting him and he's quite secretive when there's kisses in it. Alia's had enough. Tells him that he's too stupid to see how desperate uh, she is for his bobby. And she also makes the mistake of calling his DJing a hobby and assumes that he's as into the settling down and getting a place thing as she is. He's pissed and he goes off for a walk. On Friday, the next day, Ryan is still in the mood. Alia apologises in one breath, but then poo-poo's his chances for success in the other because there's far too many DJs out there. What chance have you got? He wants her support and has another gig tonight thanks to Daisy. Alia offers to come with, and Ryan reckons that she only wants to come because Daisy will be there and thinks it's best if she just stays at home. It's blowing a gale when Alia and Daisy stand off outside the tram station. They exchange barbs as Daisy makes it clear that she's in the market for some of Ryan's dad's bod. Alia's umbrella gets blown inside out. And no one acknowledges it. No. In the pub, Daisy grasses up Alia to Ryan and insists that they're just mates. She doesn't want to be the reason that they split up, but she'll be there for him tonight, shaking her maracas. And then she shakes, not her maracas. Let's be dull. Alia her compl- euphemistic maracas. Mm-hmm. Alia complains about Daisy being so beautiful when Yasmin calls Ryan a rock and urges Alia to trust him. And she should knock off early and go watch his set. Go fight for your man, but no smashing faces in quite yet. Right. She makes a good point, Yasmin. That, you know, if Ryan is going to be a DJ, then he's going to have women throw themselves. Right. And Ryan, to his credit, or his stupidity, right. really isn't showing any interest in Daisy whatsoever no. at this point. Absolutely not. It's nice to have the old Yasmin back, isn't it? Yes. And when she was able to... Uh, say how Ryan was such a mm-hmm. help with the whole Tim's dad thing. Right. And she mentions Tim's dad's name without, right. without then, shuddering. Mm-hmm. Which got to be progress, right? Yes, absolutely. Later, the gig is off because the warehouse that it was going to be in has been flooded. Daisy, who has now imposed herself as Ryan's manager... Damn you, climate change. ...suggests that rather than go home to Alia, he stays in the pub with her and test drives on cocktails. Ryan... Who is now thick as shit, doesn't think anything of it, and agrees. I didn't like how she decides that she's his manager now, and he's so subservient, and he just goes along with it. Yeah, he's just kind of like, okay, sure. Daisy's trying to get Jenny out to fuck. Oh, that sounds sounds terrible. (laughs) Daisy's trying to get rid of Jenny, but Jenny quickly works out that Daisy has a fella coming round. Daisy is forced to confess, but not who it is, and urges Jenny to leave because meeting... Meeting the, the stepmom on the first day is likely to uh, throw a spanner in the work, so to speak. In the back room, Ryan appreciates Daisy's support and positivity, much better than his stupid girlfriend. They start the cocktail tasting, and it seems that Ryan is in the mood for getting lashed. He nips out for a pish, and of course he leaves his phone, and of course Alia calls, and of course Daisy dingies it and stuffs it down the back of the sofa. 
A few cocktails later and Ryan is getting misty-eyed for Ibiza. Daisy turns on the women wiles, suggesting that she's a quiet soul and only Ryan is able to get her. No one gets her. This is true, and Ryan thinks that she gets him too. More cocktails, he demands. So Daisy is making more cocktails in the front of the house when Alia comes in looking for Ryan. Daisy reckons that he's out with his mates doing what guys do. Alga's not impressed. She's met girls like Daisy before. It always ends badly for them. Pfft, says Daisy. <laughs> and back at Speeddal, Alga is now fuming. Yasma or Yasmin urges calm and offers to take her out for a meal at the bistro to unwind. She's sure Ryan will be perfectly safe wherever he is. And wherever he is, is still at the Rovers, properly pissed now, but reckons that he needs to leave. Daisy lays it on a plate and starts to feel up Ryan's hole of his jeans. Mm. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. And again, I was really disappointed because I saw this... And then I was really confused that the next episode I watched had nothing to do with this. It's like, wait, does he or doesn't he? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? The, what's the, going on here is sexual assault. The awkward question of consent comes up yes. once again. Yes. And I think In there's a show. danger that when we're dealing with a, a woman being manipulative right. and of a man that it's it's almost played as comedy a little bit yeah which is although the the coronation street twitter feed did have a you know if you've been affected by this storyline mm-hmm. about the whole ryan and daisy thing and i do have to admit that at first i didn't really even think about consent in the storyline um and that's that's to my that is my bad that mm. You know, if the roles were reversed, this would that would immediately be my red flags would be going up, and this is really problematic. But right. that it it took me a moment because Ryan is a man, and that is my bad. Mm-hmm. And oh, no, absolutely, and um, so. <sighs> but yeah, we're we're talking about somebody getting somebody else drunk to get them into bed, right? And that's a a bad thing. Yeah, and and any. Any in shape any or shape form, or form. Right. It does make this storyline a bit more interesting, though, because when this storyline was first being talked up and stuff, I just assumed that Ryan was going to fall into bed with Daisy because Alia is being a nag. Mm-hmm. But it seems like he genuinely loves Alia and wants to be with Alia and that Daisy is kind of forced to do this, which also kind of doesn't make an awful lot of sense Daisy's character because she seems to be very much a long game type of person mm-hmm. and also why Ryan right why why manipulate Ryan when there are single men on the street and they're smarter than Ryan and right. better at life than Ryan yeah I think you're you're right uh, in that part about the the show seeming to set it up as being a oh, naggy girlfriend pushes boyfriend away into another right. woman's arms type thing. That did, did seem to me how I it was mean, getting set up. That's absolutely a trope of, uh, you know, musicians oh, yeah. and, and DJs to the point where it was lampooned in the, the rock hard, walk hard, you know, spoofy biopic movie. 
um, you know, the naggy wife or girlfriend says, oh, you're never going to be famous. You know, this is never going to work. You need to get a regular job and pushes the man into another woman's arms, essentially. You just don't understand my craft, baby. You don't understand that I'm creating here. Right. Well, yeah, create create some money. Johnny Cash and June Carter all over again. But um, so, you know, it's always disappointing when Corey falls into very tired tropes. But the fact that they've they've added this whole yeah, there's a shift in it. Yeah, that makes it that makes it interesting. It makes it uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but it makes it more. It does make it more interesting, and it makes me wonder what Monday's going to be like. I'm, right. I'm actually, I'm actually looking forward to the next episode, and I'm, that I'm, hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, I don't. Well, I, it hasn't happened I, in a while for me. I haven't been. I'm never keen to see Daisy. Whereas I kind of like Daisy. Even now? Well, when I say I like Daisy, I like the introduction of a character like Daisy. But because for her generation, there really isn't a character like this yet. You know, whereas for the older generation, we have Tracy. You know, she's she she fills a void of being not squeaky clean amongst a group of essentially squeaky clean kids who only get into trouble when people manipulate them and and um, groom them into doing bad things. Simon would have never thought to have become a drug dealer by himself, for you, an example. You, you put them in the same kind of age group? Simon and Daisy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Simon's 18 and Daisy's like, what, 22? 23 maybe? Well, I had her more kind of mid-20s than that. She yeah. was off to go and get married and stuff. I put her maybe 25, 26. Either way, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Tracy because the thing that jumped to my mind with all this was when Tracy drugs Roy and mm-hmm. lets him believe that they've slept together and right. is now the father of Amy and therefore give me some money. Right. Kind of put that little, yes. little bit in my mind. But the thing that I... I think I miss from Daisy's character as motivation. And I think you mentioned it as well, like why Ryan? Yeah. And it's like, why Ryan? Why, why, uh, why Jenny? Why the pub? Why double glammy? And well, I, I don't get any of the, the reasons that why she's Jenny, is so she's, bitchy about any of this and why she's so determined to be a bad character or a, a, or a heel in, in storylines when I'm not sure what any of this gives her other than a roof over her head well i think she's a heel because she's a heel you know i'm kind of tired of characters being bad because reasons you know oh they had a terrible childhood and that's what makes them bad some people are just bad people and i'd rather satisfying you know well for me anyway and i think it makes her more satisfying for me that she's although she had she did explain you know that She's bad because Jenny left her and her dad married somebody else. I don't who didn't believe like any her. of that. I think that's all a lie. It, and it probably is, you know. And that's that's a saving grace is that it's probably all just a lie, and she's just bad to be bad, you know. And I think we need more characters who are bad just because they're bad and not because they had terrible childhoods. I'm kind of tired of that trope. Um, I don't think it necessarily like, has to be a, a childhood thing, but. I just want 
I just want to understand why she is. And Jenny why is she's this character. It feels like Jenny is her last resort, and Jenny actually genuinely seems to care about her, so she's sticking around as long as she can. But the whole Ryan thing is the thing that, because like I said, and again, it's it's kind of like the whole Alina and Tyrone thing. There are, for both Alina and Daisy, there are young single men on the street. We don't have to be breaking up families or breaking up relationships right. to give these two female characters a relationship, you know, so why? And I guess the whole Alina Tyrone thing, the why is Tyrone's going through his midlife crisis a few years early and, you know, his just his relationship with Fizz has kind of fizzled out, so to speak. Right. You know, it's plateaued. So that kind of explains his motivation. Alina's motivation is still kind of up in the air. I guess we kind of explain it the way Maria explained it with, well, you know, she was trafficked and everything so she's looking for somebody who has a history of being steady and a good provider you know and everything but ryan i guess he's cute oh he's a cute man i think isn't he i mean that, it's not quite it's not quite my type but. well no but <laughs> you know he's he's attractive but in a homely way. He's he's not he's not very bright. A good he's not necessarily a great provider. I mean he's been, Yasmin's right. He's been a rock for her and Alia and been very supportive. Uh, to a point. Of them, you of know, a... and he well, he pushed back quite a few times against um Tim's dad. And there's a lot of men who wouldn't have stuck around with Alia through all of that. So you know, but that's that's a reason for Alia and Yasmin to keep him around. That's not really I don't I don't see that as something that would motivate Daisy or anyone to try to steal him away from Alia. But, yeah, the but, only the only thing I can think of is that she's just she's evil and so she wants to take something from someone else and that's it's the thrill of the hunt more than what you're hunting. Right. Which would kinda of go a bit in, in agreement with her desire just to split Jenny and Johnny up for no real right. reason. Yeah. Other just, than Johnny's a bit older. Right. And, and again, it isn't a, an attractive man. It's, it's yeah, be because because with Jenny, it's not it's not that she wants Jenny all to herself because she was very eager to hook Jenny up with that with that guy at oh, the bar. Guy. Yeah, I remember that guy. Or with Ronnie, mm -hmm. you know, she's perfectly happy keeping Ronnie around. So who knows? I, I, I kind of like the idea of her not being motivated by anything other than wanting to be a troublemaker, and that that's honestly appealing to me because I, too much of this world, people keep trying to explain it away. You know, like the whole Cruella thing. You know, she's bad because this. Not just she's bad because her her family was involved in this evil devil-worshipping cult, which is what's in the actual real 101 Dalmatians book, by the way, which I kind of love that, that kids' books used to go so dark. But, um, you know, 
I don't know. I, it, I think we want to understand things because if we understand things, we can fix things. I think as a society and as a species, that's that's kind of who we are. We want to understand why things work and why things are the way they are. So when when the when that's not apparent, it's difficult to yeah, connect but the, with it. You kind of it kind of drives you crazy because there are things in the world that you just can't explain and just are. And I right. think Daisy is one of those things. Corey should be one of the things that we can explain. Ryan is subservient and he's a pushover. Maybe that's why she finds him appealing, is that he'll do her bidding, yeah, probably. Yeah, she seemed to really find it appealing to spar with Daniel, though. So, you know. Yeah, but she's not trying to... I'm just trying to match Daniel with somebody. I've tried to I've tried to put him with Nina. I've tried to put him with Paul. Now I'm trying to put him with Daisy. I just... Well, I think on that note, we should draw a veil over the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Oh, God. What was your moment of the week? Paul and Gemma with Todd. I loved that. Yeah, that was really good. I just loved the look on, on Todd's face. I love Paul having a storyline again because we've been I've been missing Paul. Mm-hmm, me too. It's just nice to have him him back. And and I love it. I love it when Gemma and Paul team up together. Yep. It it makes both characters better. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, an easy sell then. Yes, that's our. That is our moment of the week. Look, I hit the right button, and we've been away for a couple of weeks from this thing. Bravo, you. Thank you very much. I had a one in nine chance. <laughs> Your boring moment of the week. Uh, um. George and Sean tag teaming Eileen. Although I kind of like that, so maybe not. I just there's something about it that that's appealing, but also not appealing. That Sam's tree. Oh God, Sam talking about truffle trees. Yes, that's absolutely our boring moment of the week. Ah, thank you very much. <laughs> boring moment of the week. Right, you can go back to your bed now. Thank you. I've got my use of you. <laughs> if you wow, <laughs> that sounds really not great. And by great. the way. That's for keeps. <laughs> if you've ever been banned from summer, let us know. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the Please, I need the, the fluids. <laughs> Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And keep an eye out for our YouTube channel because this episode is going to have a new look to it. Quite excited about this. Yes. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more. I talk of the street. Talk of the street. Cheerio. Bye.